So um, if you don't know me, my name is Corey. Uh, I'm on the leadership team here at Family Bible Church. And I wanted to start out this morning doing something that we haven't done in a long time. Uh, how stuff works. We used to do this a long time ago. And I wanted to take a couple minutes before we got started and kind of let you know the process here at Family Bible Church for when Bill's gone. Um, whenever he's not here, takes vacation, um, just decides he doesn't want to be here, which hasn't happened yet, but um, maybe in the future. Uh, we have kind of a, a, a plan in place, and the plan in place is the person who, um, you know, who, who feels like God is giving them something to say on the leadership team steps forward. Uh, Bill usually gives us a little bit of notice, and he'll say, hey, I'm going to be out on this specific day, um, so, you know, the opportunity's there, and uh, generally it doesn't take too long, so he jumps right up, and um, you know, we've got a good group of guys that are anxious to, uh, anxious to get up here and share, and be able to share what God's placed on their heart. Um, the leadership team at Family Bible Church, in case you don't know, um, we meet once a month on the uh, first Tuesday of the month. We meet up at the church office. Uh, we used to, years ago, travel from house to house. We meet in each other's houses and um, just sit around the kitchen table and, and talk through, you know, what's going on at Family Bible Church. We try to do, uh, you know, we try to talk through the direction that the church is going, um, where we see God moving in and among the people here. We, uh, of course, we talk through problems that we see, um, problems whether it be uh, financial problems or, you know, problems with our rental spaces or you know, problems with um, getting in the doors here or the, the locks at the office, you know, the nitty-gritty stuff that, you know, isn't necessarily enjoyable, uh, but it's an important part of, of Family Bible Church. Um, uh, the way that the leadership team has been put together over the years has been through um, general consensus. So what we do is we pray, um, we, we apply the, the qualifications for elders in uh, Timothy and Titus, and we pray for those. And we pray that God raises up leaders in and among us. Um, you know, it lists out you know, some pretty specific qualifications. And, um, and sometimes we have, you know, a small amount of guys. And we have to, you know, we stand up and say, hey, we need, you know, we need some help. Sometimes we go to people that we see that are already leading and, um, and ask them to pray about the journey. It's always been my prayer that um, God works in and among um, some of the men in this church that are leading or being called to lead. And, um, and has them approach to be able to say, you know, God's place is on my heart. Uh, we have a, a really good team of guys, uh, very active in the church. And I uh, just wanted to kind of take a moment and let you guys know, you know what we do, why we do what we do. And let you know if you have any questions uh, on your engagement sheets. Every, every week uh, is the emails and phone numbers for all the guys on leadership. We love to be able to communicate and answer questions about why we do what we do. There's a lot of neat things going on at Family Bible Church. If you uh, come out to our town hall meetings, you know some of the uh, some of the discussions that we're having. You know, there's a lot of people real excited about our building fund right now and uh, kind of looking long term to see if God has a permanent space in mind for us. Uh, we're looking at uh, what it really means to be um, on mission with Family Bible Church. That's been a really exciting journey that we're going through, that we're processing, that we're praying over. So uh, I just encourage you guys to be a part of that. Be a part of what's happening here. Be a part of praying through uh, where God is taking our church. Because uh, what a great opportunity next week to have a 10-year anniversary. I hope you guys are all going to be able to be here and uh, be able to reflect back over what the Lord has done for the past 10 years. So I'm excited. Um, in our leadership team meetings, the first thing that we do is we get around the table and we chit-chat while everybody's coming in. You know, if somebody's late, it may take a few minutes to get started. And uh, first thing we do is we open up with prayer, just like we do here on Sunday mornings. And we ask God that he would come in and that he would guide our discussion, that he would uh, use us as we lead this, uh, this body of believers. And then the next thing we do is call Thoughts from the Word. 
and it's kind of open. Every once in a while, Bill has something that God's really laid on his heart that he wants to share, and uh, we, we've journeyed through like a video series with him before. Um, sometimes he just throws it open and says, all right, does anybody have anything on their hearts? And uh, this last Tuesday, uh, Bill brought a, a passage to us, and it was in Exodus. And uh, so we just kind of dissected a little bit. We looked at kind of one phrase that, that stuck out to him, and we you know, kind of tossed it around a little bit. And um, as we got further down the agenda, you know, Bill reminded us that he was going to be out this week. And I've been thinking about, you know, it, it's been a while since I've been up here. It's been a while since I've taken the opportunity to, to cover for Bill. And uh, I've been kind of praying through it, and I, I decided that I would go ahead and would, I would take the, take the baton for him this week. And in that, the way that I come about with uh, what I'm going to share is generally through what I'm learning myself. Um, you know, I, I can sit down and I can start thinking, okay, well, you know, what, what does the church need to hear? You know, and start thinking about specific faces and going, okay, I know what you're struggling with, so I'm going to pray and ask that God leads me to preach to you so that you change your life. That's one way that I, you know, I could do it. Uh, we could look at the body in general and say, okay, where are we failing as a body? Um, what do we really need to hear through Scripture? Um, that's a, a way that I can go about it. Um, with me, what I found to be... Um, you know, most the most powerful um, in my own walk is to come up here and to be able to share with you something that I'm learning, and then most importantly, something that the Lord is is revealing to me. So it's really cool whenever you take that step and you say, "Okay, you know what? I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and do this," and then God just confirms it. You know that, you know, you know that something that, that something's going in a certain direction and confirms it throughout multiple ways. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you guys a little bit about um, what the leadership team talked about in the Book of Exodus. And uh, so we're gonna we're gonna do a uh, a little bit of a study here that I've titled "Move On." And uh, I do all of my research in the New King James Version, and I always forget whenever I go to do my notes and to get everything together that we're at NIV Church. All of the Bibles in the you know in the seats are NIV, so I have to kind of change myself around. So I may be saying things that aren't necessarily in the NIV, probably because it's in the New King James Version. But I try to make sure and make that clear. So what I'd like you guys to do is grab your Bibles, open up to Exodus. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 13. And uh, while you're getting there, I want to um, tell you a little bit, uh, a little bit more. I've got this uh, this guy that I really enjoy listening to. You might have heard of him. His name's Matt Chandler. He runs a uh, he's a pastor of a church out in uh, Texas. Uh, if you've heard of Matt Chandler, raise your hand. Yeah, we got a few college students. Yeah. Um, so we had our, our old youth pastor years ago actually went down and was part of that church for a long time and uh, really enjoyed it. Kind of brought the name back to me. And uh, he tells a story that has always stuck with me. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase, of course, because I don't have it verbatim. But he says that he got an email. You know, as pastors, you get the angry emails from the people that aren't happy with what you're doing. So he gets an angry email from somebody and says, I've been going to your church for, I think this, this girl said like six weeks. I've been going to your church for six weeks, and I really want to go there. I really want to plug in there. But I feel like five out of six weeks, you're saying the same thing. Every time you preach, five out of six weeks, there's no difference to what you're saying. And she was so mad. And so he sat down and he got out his computer and started typing. And he said, you know, I'm really sorry that you're not really settling in here. Um, I'm really sorry that I failed you as a pastor. Because um, he said, if, if I'm saying the same thing five out of six weeks, I'm completely failing you. I'm trying to say the same thing six out of six weeks. And uh, so he kind of turned it around and he said, you know, sorry, because I'm really, you know, I'm trying to do the gospel six out of six Sundays. And um, she wasn't picking up on it. So as I was going through this, I got you know, get all my thoughts together, and I'm rolling. And I'm like, man, you know, this is this is what the Lord wants me to share. And I'm like, man, I feel like I say this every time I'm up here. So 
Here we go again. We're going to go through what the Lord laid on my heart. And if it's reminiscent of something I've shared before, well, talk to him. I want to get started in Exodus chapter 13, and uh, we're going to read verses 17 and 18, and uh, then we're going to skip down into 20 and 21. So if you would read along with me, the word says this, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. And then jumping down to 20. Um, after leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. And by the, and by the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light. So that they could travel by day and night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So you guys are probably all pretty well familiar with the story that we're reading here. Uh, you know that the Israelites have been um, in slavery in Egypt for many, many years, uh, generations. Um, you know the story of the plagues. You've seen either the old movie or you've seen the semi-newer cartoon where they go through and they show you all the plagues and uh, just the devastation that the Lord brought um, on the country of Egypt through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, through the disobedience of letting his people go. Uh, you know Moses' story where um, he grew up under the Pharaoh and he was uh, pretty much an outcast, moved out into the desert, lived for a long time, and the Lord said, all right, time to go back. Uh, I've got a role for you. So Moses goes back into Egypt, and he goes before Pharaoh uh, with Aaron, and he's standing before him because the power of God, and they say, you know, God has commanded, let my people go, and over and over and over, Pharaoh says, nope, 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 finally says, yes, get out. The last one, remember, was the, uh, the first one, he loses his son, and he said, no, you, you can go now, you need to go now. So they packed up, and they're taken off, and uh, right now what we're seeing, the part of the story is, God is leading them um, out of Egypt, and we know what's coming. They're moving down the road, God's leading them along, and Pharaoh has again changed his mind, right? You've seen the, uh, you've seen the movie of this where the, the Egyptians start coming, and they've decided, nope, you're not leaving. Uh, remember, God gave the Israelites favor, so not only are the Israelites leaving with all of their belongings, which probably wasn't much to begin with, but it says that God gave them favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, which is beyond me, so they loaded them down with their treasure. In, in the verse there, the chapter before, it actually says, and that's how the Israelites were able to plunder the Egyptians, because God gave them favor, and it sounds like the Egyptians were just shooing all their, all their uh, riches to them. And so now Pharaoh is looking at the devastation of his land, um, the devastation of his people, um, death all over the place, and now all of the treasures of their country are gone. And now he's changed his mind again. And he said, okay, let's go get them. Let's take care of this. So that's where we're at in the story. So um, one thing that I want to point out here in these verses is um, that God always leads. This is the cool thing about the story of the Egyptians is that God was leading all the way through. Um, Moses didn't come to God and say, all right, God, we've got a big problem here. What are you going to do? Uh, hey, God, if you want to use me, I'll go and I'll take care of this for you. That's not the story at all. Remember, God went to Moses. He spoke to Moses, and he said, here you go, Moses. This is where I'm leading you. And Moses said, 
No problem, right? Great, I can do it. Right? Everybody goes, no, no. Right? He said, I, I can't be your mouthpiece. I can barely even talk. You know, he came up with all these excuses. But God was leading Moses to go back. And now, as they go, God is leading them out of Egypt. Now, this is a crazy way to lead a group of people. He's not just leading them with, all right, follow Moses. You know, he's not leading with a confirmation by, like, putting a halo over his head and saying, follow the halo everywhere he goes. You know, God himself steps out and leads the people. That's pretty amazing. Um, I, I can't quite get my head around what this looks like. It says they led them uh, during the daytime through a pillar of cloud, and then at nighttime through a pillar of fire. I can't get my head around what that would look like. I mean, it's got to be incredible. Can you imagine God himself leading, you know, through this miraculous sign? Like, that's not just like a little, I was looking online at some, some pictures and some images, and I don't think anything out there did the justice. I couldn't find anything that made any sense to me that I could logically apply to this and go, yeah, that's what it is. Um, but it's not like just a really cool cloud, you know, sometimes in storms we get a really cool cloud, and it's not that. You know, it's something more. And God said, all you have to do is follow. I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to show you where to go. And how cool is it that he took them away that they wouldn't have even chosen? And how, how, how often is that true in our life? You know, it, it, it doesn't always make sense the way that God is leading, but he has a purpose for the way that he's leading us. So he knew that these people were coming out of slavery. They were not coming out of luxury. I would assume they weren't in real good physical condition. They may have been because they were working really hard, but other imagine nourishment and things like that. I mean, these were, these were a group of slaves coming out, um, you know, to take them into a, a country where you know they're going to see battle uh, is not going to be healthy for them. And God steps in and he says, and it says that, uh, in verse 17, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to me. They couldn't handle it. There was no way they could handle that. They would have turned tail and run right back to Egypt. Now, if you just read that verse, you think, yeah, right. I mean, who would go back to slavery? That's bananas. There's no way they would do that. Um, but just give it a couple minutes and we'll see what happens. Um, so just real quick, what are some other ways that we see God leading in this time period in the, in the Old Testament. This is the part where Lance Carpenter always says, this is, this is responsive, I want your help. So what other ways in the Old Testament have we seen God lead as people or a person? Shout them out if you can think of one. What's that? Abram, leading Abram, yeah, on a journey. All right, what else? Joseph. Okay, yeah. What about signs? He used signs a lot, didn't he? He talked to people specifically. Samuel. Uh, he used signs. Remember the floating axe head? That's a great one. Uh, remember the fleece? Put out the fleece. Make everything around it covered in dew. Keep the fleece dry. Did it. Great. Alright, God, let's try this again. Let's do the fleece wet everything around dry. Remember, it's like multiple testings that God are even continuing to lead and show me. There's some amazing passages. Uh, animals? That was a crazy one, right? Balaam's donkey? Spoke for a donkey? Like, God did some crazy things in the Old Testament to get 
to get his word to the people, right? God was always leading all the way through the Old Testament, always pointing towards Christ and always leading their hearts towards Christ and leading them in miraculous and amazing ways. Let's move on a little bit into uh, chapter 14. What we're going to do is we're going to continue to pick through this story. We're just going to read a little bit at a time. We're going to break it down and talk through it because I think it's such an amazing story. Uh, so chapter 14, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Paharoth, between Migdal and the sea. They're going to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephyr. Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are wandering around the land, in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will be in glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. I want to focus on that last, that last passage there. And so the Israelites did this, because I think this is an important, not an important, this is a critical part of the story, is that Israel has responded in obedience to his lead. So after all the things that have happened to him, and after all the times God has revealed himself to Pharaoh over and over to the Egyptians, over and over and over again, they're still, as the Egyptians, responding in disobedience. They're not having it. Pharaoh specifically. But the Israelites, as they go, they've got this miraculous experience happening before them, and their response is obedience. All right, and, and same thing for us. When God leads, we have a couple different ways we can respond. God doesn't force us to respond. When we see God leading in our lives, we can be like the Egyptians, where we can have our hearts hardened, where we can ignore, where we can justify things and say, oh, no, that's not God leading, that's coincidence, or no, that's not God leading, that's just how things go. We have a choice, just like the Israelites and just like the Egyptians, to make that decision on Right. Am I going to go? Am I going to trust? You know, as, as you continue to read the Israelite story, remember that a lot of times um, they don't like the way that he meets their needs. They don't like the way that he moves them. But at this point in the story right now, they respond in The next thing, we're going to read verses 5 through 9, and we're going to talk about the boldness that follows that. So join me in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he took his chariot, made ready, and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, and officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching up boldly. The Egyptians... All Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi Herodot, opposite Baal and Zephon. Alright, so I think the important thing to realize there is where it says the Israelites who were marching out boldly. So you have to get a picture of where they're at and what's going on. So, you know, we've got Egypt over here, they're coming out of Egypt. And they're coming east. And they're coming to the Red Sea. God's taken them not in the most direct route, but in a route around, you know, away from the Philistine company. And they come towards the Red Sea. Now, if you are an army, or not an army, if you are a people group, a huge people group with hundreds of thousands of people traveling 
and you know what's behind you, your most direct route, your wisest route, is not coming out, going around, and coming towards a sea, right? I mean, we all know that. So what happens? You march up, here you're coming, here you're coming, here you're coming, sea. Okay, you don't have boats, uh, you don't have floaties, you don't have inflatable life rafts, you don't have a vest. It's, it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense to go to the sea. And Pharaoh knows this, and so Pharaoh calls it out and says, hey, they're going to be walking around, they're going to be confused. Obviously, they must have made a mistake because they're now parked right at the Red Sea. They have no escape route. They've pinned themselves in. Let's go get them. And now the Israelites at this point right now, for some reason, are still stepping out of the boldness. God's leading them. They've stepped out in obedience. And the next step there is boldness. And I think that at that point, we also have to realize that let's apply that to our lives now. When God leads us, when God is, is, is telling us where to go and what to do, and we step out with that decision of obedience, we too can have boldness, even if it doesn't make sense. Now, how often have you stepped out to follow Christ and it did not make sense to the people around you? Young people who are following Christ, whose parents aren't following Christ, you're going to experience this. You know, when God calls you to do something that seems crazy, your parents are going to think you're nuts. But you can step out in boldness because if you really truly know that you're obeying Christ, he's got your, he's got your best interest in heart. And he's going to use that. Uh, young people who have parents that are following Christ, they're still going to think you're crazy because you're, you're their kid. Uh, I've been there. I've done that. Um, all of us, when we follow Christ, it, it always, it's never going to make sense to everybody around us. We can seek out counsel, we can discuss it, but there are going to be times where it's just going to seem crazy because you can't see the end in mind. The Israelites are standing there looking at the Red Sea and they can't see the end in mind, but yet they step out in boldness. Let's move on. Verse 10 says this, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. All right, this is this is where we start to uh, we start to live up a little bit more to how we see Israel over and over and over. Because they're obeying, they're stepping out in boldness, they have no fear, they're trusting, and the situation becomes impossible to them. Think that impossible situations can lead to fear and panic, and that's exactly what happens to our Israelites. Now I want to say this right right now. Um, I'm not putting down the Israelites. I'm trying to put myself in their place. And that's a scary situation. Uh, I mean, I don't know how I would respond there. I mean, there's, there's this period of, of obedience and boldness, and you know that the Lord's working, and as it gets closer and closer and closer, and the enemy comes nearer and nearer and nearer, I mean, that's a, that's a hard place to be. That's you know, what we call when the rubber hits the road. This situation looks impossible to them. You know, probably one of, if not the greatest army on earth, is approaching with everything. Did you notice it says he took all of his best chariots and the rest of the chariots? I can see, you know, Pharaoh's going into the barns, opening the doors, pulling out the chariots that are broken down, going, get them out there. Every single one. Every single one. Put the wheel on, I don't care if it's flat on one side, get it out there. We're going to go destroy them. And the Israelites know this is coming. 
And sometimes in our lives, when those impossible situations come and we can't see the end, sometimes if we're not trusting him fully, it can lead to fear and it can lead to panic. And I don't think this is the proper response to God's lead. But unfortunately, a lot of times it's a human response. So let's continue to go through and see where, where God takes them from there. We're going to read verses 11 and 12. They, being the Israelites, said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. All right, so now we're starting to kind of see the true colors here. They're not only not trusting God, their hope and their trust is starting to fade away, but that's resulting in regret and blame. Do you see that? They're going to Moses now, and they're saying, seriously, Moses, is this what you brought us out of Egypt for? Is this what you stood before us and went, come on, guys, let's go. God's leading us, and now we're going to just die in the desert? You know, I, I would imagine that these guys are heartbroken. They probably had their children with them. They had their family with them. They had everything that they owned. And they're looking at this going, this is impossible. It's not going to work. Shame on you, Moses. Well, now remember, they followed. So they're not completely not to blame here. They followed him out of Egypt. But now they're going to have regret over what they did. So I remember a few moments ago when we were talking about, gosh, nobody would ever say, well, let's go back to, um, let's go back to slavery. That sounds pretty good. But here they're going, well, we'd rather be slaves than this. We would rather be slaves for the rest of our lives and have someone over us and treat us as slaves than to come out here and expect this great God to protect us. Okay, let's throw this in there and remember this too. What are they being led by? What? Okay, a cloud by day and fire by night. Okay, so I think, I think we have to remember that. I mean, there's this miraculous event going on. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell us that that went away. It never told us that God uh, got angry because their hearts started to change and he took it away and said, shame on you, have at it, see what you can do without me. I don't think that happened. I don't see it because we'll keep reading and we'll see where it comes into play again. The Israelites were regretting and they were blaming and they were not trusting God but he was still leading them, right? That's one of the things that really stuck out to me, was that God was leading the Israelites at this time for a miraculous event, but it looked impossible. And faith starts to break down when it looks impossible. Let's keep reading, because I think Moses' response is, um, is going to help us a lot. We're going to read verses 13 and 14. <laughs> Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Alright, so this is, um, this is one of the parts where I really started to um, wrestle with this passage. Because the response of Moses here is like you would expect from Moses. All right? Moses has gotten himself to the point where the Lord's leading, where he's standing confident. You know, he stood before probably the most powerful man on earth, 
and said, you know, and commanded him, you know, at the Lord's call, let him keep going. Um, he stood before him and, and did some amazing work. So Moses has this confidence. Um, the Lord has spoken directly to him. The Lord has, has protected him. He's seen the glory of the Lord. I mean, this is, Moses has seen things that everyone else has not seen. So Moses' response is, is twofold. He says, stand still. And he says, hold your peace. Now, I know specifically, hold your peace. That's a new King James. Um, the, uh, let's see, the NIV says what? Uh, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Um, I really like where it says, hold your peace. Because I read that and I went, okay, the only thing I know about hold your peace is at a wedding they say, speak now or forever, hold your peace. Okay, so we know we know that that means this is your chance. If you blow it, you're done. Don't say it again. Boy, we don't live up to that one, do we? We just let that hold your peace go by and then we uh, unload as soon as the honeymoon's over, don't we? So hold your peace in our society doesn't necessarily mean what it used to mean. Uh, maybe it should. But uh, a few other translations say this for hold your peace. Be still, stay calm, keep silent, keep still. So that's Moses' response. He says, God has got this. He is all over this. He's going to work it out. Now Moses has got some rock-solid faith. Seemingly, at this point, he's about the only one who really truly believes that God can get him out of an impossible situation. Here's the part that I struggle with is as we continue to read, God's response is different than Moses' response. And this is what we got into at the leadership team. Moses' response is, God has got it covered. Stand still. Hold your peace. We're going to wait on God. Let's look one verse forward and we'll see what God says because now he's speaking to Moses again. Verse 15 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Okay, why in the world did God just say, why are you crying out to me? Doesn't that seem a little bit unusual for God to say? When we read through the whole Bible, where he tells us, call out to me, cry out to me, speak to me, pray to me. You know, we talk about how God is, you know, God's a pretty self, you know, self-fulfilled person. But he calls our, not person, but being, and he calls us to communicate with him. Why in the world doesn't this seem opposite of what you normally say? Why are you calling out me? God's response is, is a little bit different because remember, Moses' response is stand still and hold your peace. God says, Why are you crying out to me? Move on. So we kind of we kind of tore this apart a little bit, really talked through it. What, what is God actually saying there? I think it speaks volumes that um, that their, their command, the last couple words of each of their responses is in direct opposition to one another. Because Moses said, stand still, and God said, move on. So as I really kind of tore into this and really struggled through it, um, I firmly believe that Moses was completely faithful and completely trusting. And I really feel like that God is coming into a situation saying, I am leading. You know, Moses, there's no recorded prayer of Moses, but I think we can be confident that Moses is praying at this point. He's communicating with God. He's, I would assume, crying out from the depths of his soul, going, God, what are you doing? How are you going to save us? How can you possibly do it this time? You know, I, I would assume he's praying that prayer of God, help me believe it. And his response to the people is, hey, God's got this. But it seems to be this, this, this prayer going on with Moses where God says, why are you 
a direct, a direct statement to Moses. Why are you crying out? Because remember what's in front of them. God has been leading them. He's led them to this place. And he's going to continue to lead them. There's no reason that God would fail them at this point. Yahweh's response is move on. Keep going. Continue the journey that you're on. Because he's going to provide. Same thing with us, guys. Um, how often do we sit back and we say, Oh, God, please. We pray. Sometimes we tears. God, what should I do? God, where should I go? God, what do I do in this situation? But I, I really believe that a lot of times that when we're praying these prayers, I really believe that God's saying, I'm already led on that. I'm already leading. All you have to do is move on. You're on the journey. If you've committed your life to Christ, you're on this journey. We don't have a pillar of, of cloud to lead us. We don't have a pillar of fire at night to give us, uh, to give us that comfort, that light uh, in the wilderness. Um, but we do have something that seems crazy. But we do have something better than that. We've got two things that I really believe are our, our pillar of cloud and our pillar of fire. One is God's word. You know, these, remember these guys, they didn't have, they weren't carrying their Bibles around with them. They didn't have God's word. They had, you know, they had some, some aspects of it. At this point, they may not have had anything. Um, and we have thousands of pages of direct revelation from God to us telling us what we're supposed to be doing. How often do we pray about things that are directly in Scripture that tell us exactly what we need to be doing? God has laid out everything that we need that the Scripture says for life and Godliness. It's there. It's there. But are we, are we looking at this, and do we bring it to church with us every Sunday, and open it up and read a few verses, and put it away, and then throw it on the shelf, and then go, God, why aren't you leading me? Oh, God, where are you in this? What should I do? When, here's a pillar right here. Number two, what do we have that's, that's another pillar that guides us? God's Spirit. They didn't have that in the way that we have now. You know, through the death of Christ and the resurrection that we celebrated last week, we have a spirit that now dwells with us when we're following him. Again, that's, you know, it's not a pillar. We can't see it. It's not standing in front of us where we can point at it and go, you know, here it is. But even if we did, we still might choose to disobey. Think about all the visible signs that were laid out for the Israelites. They were different, and it's easy to see, and then they go, man, nah, I got something better. You know, these, these Egyptians, they you know, they feed us. And we work hard, but they feed us. This, this is pretty good too, God. A lot of times we want that visible sign, but sometimes even that isn't enough. Because we have to respond in faith. You guys know this verse probably, and I love this verse, John 14, 6. This is Jesus speaking. And he's speaking to his disciples. This is getting towards the end of the gospel. And um, I think the heading on this passage, you can look there if you want to, is um, uh, Jesus is comforting his disciples. And he's talking about what's coming, and he's starting to prepare it as you continue to read through the gospel. It goes into his crucifixion, and uh, start, things start to go downhill pretty quick with the disciples as they're confused and wondering what's happening to Jesus. And he shares these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. And what I want to kind of start to close down with today is that Jesus um, is life. And I, I firmly believe that uh, 
when we when we really truly decide to accept the truth, which is Jesus, and when we really begin to walk in His way, which is laid out in God's Word, that it really truly does bring life, abundant, fulfilling life. But on the contrary, guys, when we set our own path, when we decide in and among ourselves, you know what? Yeah, that's okay, but I think this is better. Like, I can't see the end of that, but I, I can hear. Uh, that doesn't quite make sense, but I'm going to go this way. This doesn't exactly fit with what I want, so I'm going to go this way. When we set our own path, when we deny the truth, which is Christ, we miss out on this abundant life, even if we're going to church, even if we come every week, even if we're Christians, even if we're reading His Word. When we choose to make our own path and deny the truth, we're missing out on abundant life. Is it possible to be a Christian, to be a church attender, to be a, a faithful person and miss out on abundant life? That's probably a loaded question. We could probably do um, a pretty in-depth study on that and really uh, and really dig into that. Um, I don't I don't know which way I fall on that. That's really difficult. But here's here's my problem. I see it around me every day, and it's not. <coughs> People that, that tell me that they know. It's people that are involved in church, but that abundant life that Jesus is talking about, it's nowhere to be found around them. And because in, on one hand, while following Christ, I think sometimes we still make our own way and we miss out on the wonderful thing that God has for us. And just a couple notes on um, what Scripture tells us about this life. Because I want you to understand that this life is available. And I don't mean a life like, you know, your pockets are going to be full and you're going to live in this great house. You know, that's, that's garbage. We're not going to talk about that. I'm talking about abundant living. Completely different. This is what Scripture tells us. Uh, three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus himself talks about how having a spirit-controlled mind brings us life and peace. And I love that. Life in peace. Life in peace is, is, is or I'm sorry, uh, Jesus in the Gospel of John said uh, that, we, that he has come to bring us joy. He wants our joy to be complete. Um, in the book of Romans, it tells us that when we have a spirit-controlled mind, it can bring life and peace. I think those two are critical. We're not looking for happiness. We're looking for joy, which comes through Christ. True, abundant life and peace. I mean, really, peace isn't that what everybody's longing for? Peace. Not stuff, but peace. David in the Psalms, you guys know all about David and all the, all the struggle that he had in his life, uh, but knowing that God called him a man after his own heart. We know that David had a deep, abiding relationship with Christ. He went through some failures. He went through some trials. But he came out as a man remembered and a man after God's own heart. And he says that in, in God, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. I love that. That's in Psalm chapter 16. That's how he closes the psalm. Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. It's a beautiful picture of the life in Christ. In 1 Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter says that there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. I just, I just like that phrase, joy unspeakable. You can't even describe the joy that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, full of glory. He does a beautiful picture to us of what he offers. 
So as I close down, I just want to mention a couple things because I think in everything in life, I think we all would agree that we have trade-offs for the decisions that we make. Um, it, it could be a little decision, it could be a big decision, but there's always going to be a trade-off. You're always going to choose this and you're going to lose this. That, that's just how it is. So a few things that I jotted down and I wanted to share with you is that um, the, the Israelites in our story, they chose, they would have chose, they wanted to choose, and they tried to choose bondage and slavery instead of God's miraculous protection. I encourage you to go home and finish this story. Uh, most of you know how it is, but this is the crossing of the Red Sea. They think it's completely impossible, and God says, move on, and he tells Moses, take your staff, stick it out, and I'm going to part the sea, and I'm going to protect you. And they go straight through to the other side. And, and the really cool thing is here, you know, I told you a few minutes ago that the pillars don't go away. The pillar actually at that point, as it's leading them, it comes and it goes behind them to protect them. So it separates them from the Egyptians at that point. And on one side, the cloud side, it causes complete darkness. And on the other side, the fire side, it causes light for the Israelites. It's a beautiful story to see how it came to be. But at a certain point in the story, the Israelites were ready to trade it off. A lot of times, uh, when it comes to money, money is such an important thing to us. And Jesus talked about, um, I've heard it put, he talked about money more than anything else. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I mean, read the Gospels. It's over and over and over again. A lot of times with our money, we choose safety and security and a lot of times disobedience against how God tells us to treat our money. And we trade off those things in place of true financial peace. Um, that was something that Lance and I were talking earlier this week about. I mean, that there, there's something to that. There's something to trusting him enough uh, to be able to gain that financial peace that changes so many aspects of your life and your heart as well as you learn to control uh, money the way that he wants you to control it and you learn to allow him to use it. Relationships are a huge one. A lot of times we choose uh, momentary pleasure instead of God's beautiful plan that he's laid out in this pillar. And we say, oh, God, you know, this is really hard. Um, you know, this whole, you know, marital faithfulness and, and this whole, um, you know, staying sure till marriage. You know, I mean, really, God, look at our culture. Forget that. That's impossible. But we're trading God's wonderful, beautiful plan for momentary, momentary pleasure. A lot of times we choose happiness over joy. A lot of times we choose to control everything in our lives instead of relinquishing that with God and having that overwhelming peace. We'll close with this. Um, this week I was reading. I told you God a lot of times confirms over and over again. Um, a lot of times how I know that I'm on the right track with what he wants to share with everybody and what he wants to tell me um, in my personal time. And uh, Chuck Colson had a, uh, a devotional this week that I thought hit the nail on the head. And I'll read this to you and then we'll pray. Uh, he says, Our Lord would love to piece together a shattered fragment of your life. And he is waiting. Graciously waiting until the time is right. Until you are tired of the life you are living. Until you see it for what it really is. Until you are weary of coping, taking charge of your own life. Until you realize the mess you are making of it. Until you recognize your need for it. And waiting. And I truly believe that God is waiting today that he is led. He is led with sending his son to die on the cross for us. He's leading us with his word in a miraculous way that this scripture has been put together and been protected. I believe that he's leading us through putting his spirit inside of us and speaking through us. And I believe that he's waiting for each one of us to respond to that in obedience, in boldness, 
and in faith that can endure times that don't even seem possible, uh, but through him and his leading. Let's pray together. Father, you say in Isaiah that your ways are higher than our ways. Father, we can't understand all the time what's going on. We can't understand all the time where you're taking us. Uh, but Father, you created us. Shame on us for thinking that we can come up with uh, a way to live that's opposite you, a way to live that's better than the one that you laid out for us. We thank you for your plans and for your guidance, Lord. I pray for each person that's in here today um, that we would all look deep inside of our hearts and make the determination of whether or not we are going to choose to follow your leading or disobey and lose out on an amazing, wonderful, overwhelming life that you, that you have for us right here on this earth. Once we struggle for humanity and struggle for sin, Father, your overwhelming peace and guidance. We pray all this in all together.